0: I apologize for the little bit of gruffness in my voice. I'm still recovering from COVID. So I would appreciate some prayers if you think of me. And we are continuing our devotional Bible study reading through Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be in verse 14 today. And, you know, I want to just make sure you're aware of the fact that there's lots of extra resources to help you dive a little bit deeper on our Patreon page, which you can find by going to our website. There's lots of links for it, or it's in the show notes. We have both a discussion forum that's private, and we also have journaling prompts that go along with each of the episodes. There are questions that help you get that information from your head into your heart. We also have family discussion guides because we're covering the same content on the kids show, and the goal of the guide is to help you just wrap it all together. You can use that as part of your devotions or just things to talk about at the dinner table, and then I also offer spiritual direction and life coaching if you want to unpack some of this stuff together. I'd love to walk alongside of you and your family in that. So today I'm reading at chapter 9, starting at verse 14. We'll be reading 14 through 26. It says, Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he was with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter. He said, Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue's leader's house and saw the noisy crowd of people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. You know, as we're going through this, as I go through these studies and all the different portions of scripture, I'm not really preaching through them and This is one of the ones that's hard not to preach through them. I'm teaching through them. And I think there's a difference. I'm teaching the history and the background of the culture. And while there is some elements of what I might preach in each of these passages, there's so much rich content in this passage. And this is just a handful of verses. What is it? 10, 12 verses. So I want to get into a couple of things that I think will be helpful for you as you study this portion of scripture. The first is this idea of disciples. And so many of us just think, Of disciples as the disciples of Jesus. And we don't recognize that there were different kinds of disciples. So in that culture, the disciples would be one that would follow a teacher around. And so the disciples of John are people that are committed followers of the prophet John the Baptist. And so they would gather around him as he would prophesy or as he would baptize people, they would help him. They really followed him around and they followed the strict religious practices that John did and taught, such as things like fasting. The disciples of the Pharisees, which when we're learning about this passage in Mark and then also later in Matthew, it talks about this. The disciples of the Pharisees were most likely those that were in training to become Pharisees, of course. And so they also would have been immersed in the commitment of the Pharisees in the oral law and the rigorous practices that the Pharisees would have practiced at that time. So. John's disciples here are questioning because they don't understand why the disciples of Jesus would not regularly fast as a sign of repentance. And it's interesting because in that culture, people would often hold the teachers responsible for the behavior of the disciples. And man, I think we'd be in trouble as teachers now if that were the case too. But there is some element there. You know, as a leader, I'm responsible for the people that I'm leading. And so, The law at that time would require fasting only on the day of atonement. But culturally, there was lots of other fasts that had been added by the religious aspect of the Jewish faith and especially the groups of people like the Pharisees. So many of the Pharisees were actually at this point fasting two days a week without any water, especially during the dry season. And so fasting was this important practice that helped them in the process of prayer and to show repentance. And it would have been unusual for disciples of the prospective rabbis, which is what they were thinking Jesus was, it would have been unusual for them to avoid fasting. So in the response that Jesus gives, he says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? He's now alluding to himself as the bridegroom. And so it's interesting here because in the Old Testament, the bridegroom is referred to as Yahweh. And so the arrival of the kingdom of heaven is bringing this fulfillment of the promises of Israel, which of course should produce joy and rejoicing. And he's likening that now to this idea of the wedding feast. So the wedding feast in that culture would last about seven days. They would be partying for seven days long. And it was an obligation to have joy in that ceremonial space, so much so that the rabbis would pause giving out instructions when the bridal party would, would come by. When there was a bridal party procession, the rabbis would even stop what they were doing. And you were not permitted to fast or even engage in things like mourning or or difficult work like labor during a wedding feast. And so Jesus is making this analogy about how it's also similarly inappropriate to fast in his own time. It would not be appropriate to have a fast or mourn in a wedding ceremony. And that's where he's kind of saying, okay, I am the bridegroom. So moving on to verse 16, where it says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, um, here, what he's doing is he's using these examples from everyday life. And so, you know, you can imagine, you know, if you have unshrunk cloth and you, you sew a, a patch that's not also been shrunk, then there's going to cause some tension when, when things shrink. Jesus is emphasizing that he's not coming to just provide correction to the traditional practice of the Jewish faith. Instead, he's bringing something new, a completely new approach to God. And it's going to be incompatible with the way that they are traditional and rigid in their righteousness. The other thing that I want to point out is the wineskin. You know, this sounds kind of gross to us because we're so far removed from this kind of culture, but you have to remember scripture was written for us. It was not originally written to us. It was written to an ancient people group that lived at a different time frame that were an agrarian society. They lived off the land. And so what they would do is when they they would use all the parts of the animal that they could, they would save the skins of the animals. And so traditionally, they would take the skin of the goat and they would sew several of them together. And that's what they would store their wine in. You would put new wine into brand new wine skins that were just freshly made, because what would happen is the wine would ferment over time. And as the wine would ferment, it you know, it would be grape juice when it would go in, it would ferment over time, it would expand. That fermentation process would expand. And then of course the skin would stretch with it. Well if you had a skin that was already stretched out and then you put new wine or juice in it before it fermented and then it would start to ferment, guess what would happen? It would pop because there's no more stretching. You know, the skin can only stretch so far. And so you only put new wine and new wineskins the old wine would be in the old wineskins. And so again, it's this allusion to him saying, I'm doing something new here. What I'm doing does not fit the traditional approach to righteousness that you've had because I'm talking about a heart righteousness. And so I love that aspect. If you want to see a picture of the wineskins, what they would have traditionally used, you can go to our Patreon page. I'll, I'll post it there for you. But I think it's super interesting. down in verse 18. So this is where a shift happens. And I think it's so cool the way that Matthew writes this. So a shift happens and we're talking about a ruler that comes and kneels before Jesus. And Matthew just calls him a ruler here, but in other places in the other gospels in Mark and Luke, he's actually named, his name is Jairus. And that word for ruler means that Jairus was either a kind of community leader or he was a head of a synagogue board, which was also another kind of community leader. And so either way, what we know is Jairus had a place of honor within his community. He had a place of leadership and he functioned within the community as some sort of leader. And so by him as a leader... Kneeling before Jesus, it's an indication that he's giving honor to him because kneeling is the appropriate position that somebody would take before God or a king or a superior. So even this ruler, this leader is recognizing who Jesus is. And of course, he's talking about the need that he has because his daughter has died. And then right away, what we also see is the story of this woman who had the issue of blood and we know from the way that it's written that is actually the menstrual period staying too long it's not like hemorrhaging from you know other diseases can cause hemorrhaging that's not what's going on she's literally having her menstrual period all month long and what that's doing is it's making her continually unclean under the law because under that social issue at that time frame it was a religious problem it was a social problem it was a physical problem because that season of a woman's life or that week of a woman's life, it would make them unclean. They would actually have to go outside of the city. They could not be around everybody else within their, even their family. And so if that woman, as an unclean woman, even touched anyone's clothes, then that person that she touched would become ceremonially unclean for the rest of the day. And so she would make anyone unclean around her. So the fact that she was in a heavy crowd is kind of scandalous. I mean, you know, it's it's a scandalous kind of faith where she should not have been in that crowd to begin with in the first place. And so many of the teachers would avoid touching women altogether because they don't want to be accidentally contaminated because you don't even get tell necessarily when somebody's, you know, on their period. I know this is gross, guys. Hang with me. There's a point here. But many of them just would not even touch a woman. And, you know, the other thing you have to think about is the implications of that means. That means that she was probably not married. Maybe she was never married. We don't know how long she's had this problem. But if she was married at this point, she was probably divorced because, you know, in that culture... Intercourse was forbidden during menstruation. And in the Jewish tradition, if there was no children, if it was a marriage that did not produce children, then that was a mandate for divorce. And so even if she was married at some point, now she's most likely divorced. And so this is a divorced woman who's ceremonially unclean. that should not even be where she's at. And what does she do? She reaches out and she touches the fringe of Jesus's garment and you know, I used to think that that just meant like the, the hem was frayed or something. No, what that actually means is there was these tassels that were worn by Jewish men and it was part of the obedience to the tradition. And on the four quarters of their outer garment, there was a prayer shawl and that would have the tassels as well. There were these like blue and white cords that were woven together. And she reached out and she just touched the fringe of one of those tassels. And it's interesting that... The account of the healing of this woman happens at the same time as the story of this little girl. And what Matthew's doing here is he's using an approach that we see some of the gospel writers use. It's called a sandwich story, where there's two stories that are paired together. And what that does is as an indication for us that we are to understand these two stories together. And, you know, sometimes you'll hear taught where they'll talk about, you know, Jairus's daughter, or they'll talk about the woman with the issue of blood, but they don't often teach them in tandem with each other. But the way that it was written, the way it was taught is they were supposed to be taught together. And here's why. Both of these stories are highlighting the compassion of Jesus and the authority of Jesus. Also, the faith of the people that are coming to Jesus. So. The woman was ritually unclean and she would have caused impurity to anybody that she came in contact with. The little girl was dead. And so she also would have caused impurity to anybody she came in contact with. And yet what do we see? We see Jesus acting, not just with compassion, but with authority. And so It's not really about a purity issue in this passage. I mean, it's mentioned, but it's not really the the focus. The focus here is the authority that Jesus has to heal outside of the religious tradition of the time. I just love that. And so if we skip down to verse 22, let me read it again. It says, Jesus turned and saw her take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. So when he's talking about the woman that had reached out, she touched the hem of his garment. He knew he, he you know, he didn't even see it. He didn't even have to talk. He knew that that had happened. And so uh, what the people that were hearing this and what the people would have witnessed this would have believed was the fact that only God had supernatural knowledge And so Jesus is using his supernatural knowledge to identify this woman that had touched him, even though in the eyes of the public, this would mean that he had contracted ritual uncleanness because they knew that she was unclean. And it's it's so interesting because they don't recognize yet what has happened. But the faith in Jesus is amazing to see that it's Jesus who makes her unclean. And she has so much faith that that's going to happen. She's risking making him unclean because she she has faith that just touching him is going to make her clean, not the opposite. And so this faith is extraordinary in 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 various ways, but these examples or they could i guess be considered counter examples where we see the, you know, the Pharisees and then the faith of these people, they're contrasting even, you know, the scripture talks about the little faith back in chapter eight, the little faith that the disciples had. But yet we see this Jairus has such amazing faith and this unclean woman has such amazing faith and Jesus is responding to this amazing faith. And so we see this encouragement to trust Jesus because he has the compassion and the authority to heal. And then in verse 23, it talks about how when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, what that's talking about is the music that would have been playing because this little girl has died. And so music in that culture was a very important element, both in times of gladness and celebration and also times of mourning. So much so that when somebody died, there would have been professional mourners that were hired to assist with the funerals. And usually it was a couple of flute players and it would have been a couple of wailing women and their job literally was to just cry out and then the, the instruments would be played. Even the poorest people in Israel would hire not less than two flutes and one wailing woman. I mean, it was just so embedded in their culture. And so this, again, is this indication that this girl is really, truly dead. And so in the family of a prominent person, like a ruler or a leader that Jairus was, is there there probably would have been a lot of professional mourners because he would have had the money to do that. And there would have been family and friends that would be, you know, verbally mourning. The difference between them and I think our modern day grief is they were not bashful about crying out and the mourning and the grief that they were suffering. It would have been a very loud You know, there's music playing, there's flutes playing, there's professional wailers, there's people that are wailing and grieving. This is the scene that Jesus enters into. And so this was an important way in their culture that they dealt with the reality of death. And there was different rites that were associated with it and all of that. We're not going to get into all of that today, but this would go on for seven days. Okay. And this is the scene that Jesus walks into. He walks into the chaos. And it says, after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took the girl by the hand and she got up. Touching a corpse would make somebody unclean for seven days. But Jesus, he's not unclean. He brings this little girl to life, which transforms her uncleanness into purity. This is the first time we see Jesus raising the dead. It's not the last time, but it's the first time we see in the Gospels Jesus raising the dead and how great an example of the amount of faith of Jairus that we see in this story and the compassion we see on Jesus and the authority he has to heal. I just want to remind you, we're going to go ahead and we're going to reread this passage, but I just want to remind you that that's the same Jesus we serve today. The same Jesus that healed and raised that little girl from the dead and healed that woman is the same Jesus we see today. Let's reread this. It says, then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we, the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he was with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. Now they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter. He said, Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been outside, he went in and he took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all the region. God, we praise you that you are the healer. You are the one with the compassion and the authority to heal. So God, we invite you as the healer into our lives. God, the areas of our lives that we have been afraid to trust you in, God, we trust you with that right now. God, help us to have the faith of Jairus. Help us to have the faith of the woman as they come to you as the healer. God, we thank you that when you show up, all of you shows up. So Lord God, would we ask that the Jesus that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the healer, would show up in our lives, God and held that to be a testimony to the lives of those around us, that they would recognize that we are not making you unclean, but it is you that exchange our sin and our shame and our brokenness for purity, God. We thank you and praise you for who you are. Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, friends, we'll talk tomorrow. Hey, friends, as we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I want to make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page, and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things, we hold each other accountable, There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids' show, every day I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children So all of that is on the patreon Also, there's some prophetic words extra videos transcripts all those kinds of things The second is on our website If you go to SheHears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you want to teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly.